When I'm on my way to drop off the kids at school and I'm on about five hours of sleep and I haven't had my coffee yet, I'm truly one of a kind. Yeah, this sounds like the beginning of a horror movie. It is. But there is one thing I can do immediately to bring some comfort and calm to the situation and keep me moving forward. Eat Keebler Sandies. I like to think that if the good-looking guy was still around, sitting on the couch, comforting himself about not getting into college, he'd ditch the Cocoa Puffs and down some Keebler Sandies instead. Mixed with chocolate syrup? Ooh, why not? When you need a comforting moment for yourself, Keebler Sandies is the perfect treat to keep you going. Each Keebler Sandies shortbread cookie is baked to perfection by the Keebler Elves for a light sweetness and a texture that melts in your mouth. The next time you feel like you're juggling it all, reach for Keebler Sandies shortbread cookies to enjoy a simple moment of comfort. This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Listen, Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and so do their tushies. Especially when they start really moving. With Huggies Little Movers, you get their best-fitting diaper with its curved and stretchy fit. That's right. So no matter what kind of mover you've got, they'll feel protected and comfy while their little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Huggies Little Movers has curves designed to fit all baby curves and helps provide up to 12-hour protection against leaks. So make the switch to Huggies Little Movers today. We got you, baby. When it comes to Pod Meets World, we're synonymous with two things. Watching our younger selves on a TV show from 30 years ago and loving Hyundai. The first ever fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. With up to 303 mile range, available two-way charging and other category defining features, the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5 is one of the most teched out electric vehicles ever. And as you know, we are tech heads. The standard ultra-fast charging capability gives you an 80% charge in just 18 minutes when using a 250 plus kilowatt DC fast charger. And with the available two-way charging, you can charge larger electronic equipment inside and outside the car, backyard or side yard. Hyundai, it's your journey. Learn more at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 2024 Ionic 5 rear-wheel drive has an EPA-estimated driving range of up to 303 miles. Actual range will vary with options, driving conditions, and habits, vehicle and batteries condition, and other factors. Available in limited quantities and select states only. Um, so I have this, I have a redwood growing outside of my office here. Uh, okay. When I when I moved into my house, there were two redwoods and um, you don't really, they don't really grow in Los Angeles. There's not many of them, but no. there, and one of them is really struggling because it's too hot. There's too much sun. Oh. But this other one right outside of my office is thriving. It is now 20 feet tall. It is beautiful. It's feeding um, off your energy. Yeah. Right. Well, mm. the, so yeah, I, I, you know, I, you guys know, I literally grew up underneath giant redwood forest like we have hundreds of them on our our property and so i grew up climbing these trees just playing under them you know i used to like i used to climb one tree in particular to read in it and i would right you used to take susie to the tree (laughs) take susie to the tree climb out your poetry and they're just these they're these beautiful ancient uh, endangered species um but i realized like i have a very intense identification and dedication to a species of plant Right. You know, and right. I mean, for an atheist, this is like the closest I have to a spiritual right. connection in my you life. You used to drop fake dead bodies out of these trees. Right. Yes. Yeah. So do you guys have, or 
like a certain animal or plant that you've ever identified with or cared about? No. No. <laughs> Never. No. 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 Even even going back to like save the whales in the eighties, like you didn't care about dolphins no, or whales or no. it's not that you don't I mean, care I, about exactly. them i just don't identify with them I, I hope a dolphin has a good life i'm never you know <laughs> i'm i wish the best for said dolphin or whale but <laughs> right. i i don't identify with them you know like the gas station shirts you can get that have the whales and the wolves and stuff like yeah. that uh, i was really I into wolves when i was a teenager stuff. oh i, I remember your that. wolf yeah. phase yeah yeah, yeah. Big, i uh, lance phase. lance gave me a necklace in the 90s that was three dolphins swimming in like a circle and Aww. and it was one of those things you could do on your touristy vacation where mm-hmm. you would pick an oyster and then you get to pop it open and see if there's a pearl inside and so then the dolphins have they're swimming in a circle and you put the pearl in the middle of it the dolphins seem confused if they're just swimming in a circle <laughs> well i don't know what dolphins do <laughs> but swimming. there was a point where then after he gave me the necklace where it was like do i do i like dolphins am i a Am I going to be a dolphin girl now? And then dolphin. it was very, no, I wasn't horse a dolphin girl. Horse girl is a real thing. A lot of, horse lot girl of is a real thing. Yeah. Like, Lance I, and I also went horses. horseback riding. But oh, so he was trying to make you into a, a, a few to, different animal girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I, I think he wanted me to like have a thing. It was going to make it easier to buy me gifts. Yeah. But That's no, true. I. You should have stuck I mean, I like, rose. I like dogs. Yeah, I'm dogs. a dog. Yeah, you guys have dogs. I don't have a dog. Or yeah, no. No, you had, had pig cats, and had you had pony and you had pig and you had chicken. I think I grew up pony. with way too many animals, so now I don't even care. That's probably oh, what it you is. You know what? You know what I what I was as a kid that I we've never really talked about. I was a rat girl. We had rats. <laughs> you, rats. We had what? rats. That's, many wow. rats. I had rats. Like as a pet, or they, yes, yours, yes. just your home wasn't clean. No, <laughs> no, we had rat as a pet. So the story <laughs> of how we got rats is actually it's one of my. It's one of my favorite childhood stories because it's terrible. And my, so we went to the pet store and my mom was like, oh, we should get hamsters. And so we got two hamsters. hamsters. Yeah. Yeah. So we got two hamsters. My brother picked a hamster and I picked a hamster. The hamster my brother picked was, was a little chunky and cute as can be and all gray. And he was like wild and not super kind. Like, you know, the balls you could put a hamster in and they go running, yeah, running. Yeah. When you tried to get him out of that thing, he'd bite you. And he'd every single time he'd bite the tip of my finger and I'd bleed. So his, we kind of, I was like, that hamster's a jerk. I don't like that hamster. My hamster was, was cream and she was little and she's so sweet. And I loved her and she never bit me. So they didn't tell us that there's any reason to not put the male and female hamster together. And we weren't really thinking about that. We had one big cage that then had a tube that connected to another cage. So they each had their own space. And the way our rooms were set up, my brother and our, my rooms were right next to each other. And the, there was like a linen closet in the hallway right outside our rooms. And that's where the hamster cage lived. Well, one night, we heard all this commotion and my brother, who's four years younger than me, Chris, yelled from his room, Danielle. And I said, yeah. And he said, I can't sleep. The hamsters are making so much noise. And I said, okay, no problem. I'll get up and close your door. So I got up and I closed his bedroom door. And then I went into my room and I closed my door and we went to sleep. The next morning I wake up to the sound of my brother screaming and my hamster is sitting in the corner of her little side. And she's like this. And she's cleaning her face and she is 
covered in blood. Yes. My little monster. white cream hamster covered. Mastered and then the other. Oh my God. she had eaten the no. head of my brother's hamster. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we panicked. We were like, oh my gosh, oh my what God. is this? And my mom just picked up the cage, put him in the car, and then brought him back to the the it, pet store. Gave us and was like, hamsters? this hamster murdered, decapitated this hamster. We do not want these anymore. And they were like, oh yeah, you can't put them together. <laughs> so Did we're we not like, tell you that? Yes, obviously not. I have to tell you, my brother then drew murder hamster art for years <laughs> in murder school. hamster art i mean in school there's a, there's a good he would draw for that. a I'm picture of a bed with him sleeping in it with z's coming up from his head um, and wow. then a bloody massacre going yes. on right outside oh, and he for years so blamed himself because he said when when i couldn't sleep and they were making all that noise had he I was screaming for he help. He was screaming for help, and I just wanted to <laughs> sleep. I had the same thing. It sounds so weird, but I had a very traumatic experience the same kind of way. I had a gerbil named Charcoal. I was going to say, you ate your roommate? No, <laughs> it's even worse. <laughs> no, the same thing that Chris you went through. You decapitated and just found I had, I had this gerbil named oh. Charcoal, and we got cats. And I heard, I was like eight or nine years old and I was downstairs and I heard a crash upstairs and I was too scared to go up and check what it was. Oh no. And my cats had knocked over their the thing's and cage and killed the gerbil. Oh. And so to this day, any noise, I go and check. Right. I'm like, you, I'm going to Because you don't want another gerbil to die. No gerbils I, no left behind. gerbils on my watch right. are going to die. So that same thing where it's like, had oh, I just God. checked- Right, Charcoal I would have been fine. Would have been fine. Well, that's yeah. how we ended up with rats. Is that the 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 people at the pet store said? To be honest, hamsters are disgusting creatures. If you want a good pet, here's a rat. And my mom was like, "The tail?" And they were like, "Yeah, yeah, you just need to get past the tail." But they're actually great pets. And so we did. We got a we got a rat named Joey, and he was spectacular. Joey the Joey rat. The rat? Joey you the- had Joey the rat. <gasps> Joey the rat. We never made this connection. Are you kidding me? Are you just saying this now? Now we got to get two rats named one Joey and the other Stanky for. Are you kidding me? You had Joey the rat this whole time? I had Joey the rat and I had him while we were on Boy Meets World. And we never made this connection. Joey was amazing. (laughs) Joey also knew his name. He could do so. Joey could sit up on his hind legs and grab the top of his cage and then he'd pull himself up. And so with his head, he'd pop the top of his cage. He'd pop the lid off of his cage and then he could pull himself up and he'd run out and we'd come home and Joey would be missing and we'd go, Joey. And he'd come running out from wherever he was. Could he he play guitar? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> was he musical? Was he, was, he, was he musically talented? Did he start a great he indie band? He started a great indie band called Rado Kylie. Yeah, but he ain't got no ears. He ain't got no ears. So, oh, wow, man. I can't believe this. Yes, and then I had That's and then great. I had rats named uh, uh, Jedediah. I named them after Topanga's dad. I had Chloe and Jedediah, and we had a... a um, a rat named Laser. My brother named him Laser, but then we figured out it was a girl, and so you then we changed her to Lacey. Well, well, I was a rat girl. I was a total rat girl. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so getting back to my initial yeah. question. So I was a rat girl. Yes, you're right. I am a redwood tree person. You Rats. are a rat? Yeah. Joey the rat, baby. It's that's Wow. I now I know. Nothing. Now I know why he Joe speaks Campbell. to me so and I was much. Normal. Joe, Joe Camel is Will's, Will's spiritual my friend. Companion. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Welcome to Pod Meets World. I'm Danielle Fischel. I'm Re- Redwood Strong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Will Friedle. 
This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Listen, Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and so do their tushies. Especially when they start really moving. With Huggies Little Movers, you get their best-fitting diaper with its curved and stretchy fit. That's right. So no matter what kind of mover you've got, they'll feel protected and comfy while their little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Huggies Little Movers has curves designed to fit all baby curves and helps provide up to 12-hour protection against leaks. So make the switch to Huggies Little Movers today. We got you, baby. When it comes to Podmeets World, we're synonymous with two things. Watching our younger selves on a TV show from 30 years ago and loving Hyundai. If we could, we would take Hyundai to prom. Technically, Hyundai is more visible on this show than Topanga. The first ever fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. With up to a 303-mile range, available two-way charging, and other category-defining features, the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5 is one of the most teched-out electric vehicles ever. Say teched-out again. Nope, that was a one-time show. Snooze, you lose. Well, either way, the Hyundai Ionic 5 is a tech-forward electric SUV. The standard ultra-fast charging capability gives you an 80% charge in just 18 minutes when using a 250-plus kilowatt DC fast charger. So that means your car won't die out like the Matthews family vehicle on New Year's Eve, forcing you to miss out on kissing supermodel Rebecca Alexa in front of all of Philadelphia. And with available two-way charging, you can charge larger electronic equipment inside and outside the car. Backyard or side yard. Hyundai, it's your journey. Learn more at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 2024 Ionic 5 rear-wheel drive has an EPA-estimated driving range of up to 303 miles. Actual range will vary with options, driving conditions and habits, vehicle and batteries condition, and other factors. Available in limited quantities and select states only. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, Jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Or sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by the experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. It would be hard to describe a young writer strong without including the words counting and crows at some point in your explanation. You see, young writer and old soul knew and was set with his favorite things. Carrying a book in his monstrous Jinko jeans pocket, giving a white rose to a girlfriend at age 12 and every year after, turning me against my mother and praising culture shifting albums like August and Everything After and Recovery 
covering the satellites from his favorite band. And his love for the Bay Area musicians, claiming a hometown very close to his own, was infectious, turning Will and I into superfans as well. So much so that at some point in my early 20s, I jumped on stage and danced as they played. But we will not focus on that for now. Their lead singer, one of the most talented songwriters of the decade, if not our generation, has come up multiple times on this podcast, and for good reason. The spirit of the Counting Crows has a very similar spirit as Boy Meets World. Both had heart and substance and an ability to speak to fans beyond just the tropes of our time. The Grammy and Academy Award-nominated singer has survived the test of time with his body of work and eventual collaborations, speaking to listeners just as much now as he did when he first debuted with the absolute classic, Mr. Jones. He's still touring today, selling out stops all over the world, but today, we're going to make him talk about something he never thought he'd even think about again in this life for more than three minutes, Boy Meets World. We're honored to welcome a true muse for us cast members and someone I'm hoping will be writer's new best friend, the Counting Crows lead singer, Adam Duritz. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being here with us. Hello, you guys. It has been forever. I know, right? It's been a while. So we would be remiss if we did not acknowledge that between you, Adam, being here on the podcast with us and Lisa Loeb doing one of our live shows, this podcast has quickly become a bit of a make-a-wish for writers' musical tastes. <laughs> it, it has. It absolutely yeah. has. It's like, let's just go back to 1996 over yeah. and over and over again. Yes, yeah. and give writer all of his, like, make all of his 96 dreams come true. Mm-hmm. So do you remember, Adam, Ryder coming to a lot of the shows and me coming to a lot of the shows? Oh, yeah, of course. And 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 parties at the house, too. Yes. Yeah, of course. I do think you... I only met you once. So they were younger than me and they went out off on their own to, to all the cool concerts and stuff. And so. you. So, hello, Will. Hi, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, we were just we were just rewatching an episode and I realized like, oh, that was the episode where I left taping to go see. My first Counting Crows concert, which was the Hollywood Grand concert, where you guys—oh wow, really? Yeah, where you guys played like all the Recovering the Satellite songs for the first time, and that was my first concert. And I remember just being like, oh, "I love all of these songs. This album's going to be amazing." And then had to wait like a year for the album. To oh, come. I remember that. So that was really cool. <laughs> that was yeah, we were getting ready to like do make the record. Yeah, it was Thank great. You. Yeah, it was a great way to to get introduced to all the songs. But anyway, we were just watching that and I was like 16? Yeah, Yeah. 96. Well, and writer's real life love for you guys became a character trait of his fictional self. He wrote Counting Crows on Sean's folder that he then, yeah, there's Counting Crows and Strofty Bright, the words you tried to make happen. Mm -hmm. Counting Crows written on a Sean notebook that that you're holding up in the school hallway. And it was mentioned to be that Counting Crows was Sean's favorite band. So did you know at the time that you and your music was actually influencing Sean from Boy Meets World at all? Was that in your zeitgeist at all? No, I don't think so until I met Ryder. I'm, I'm not sure I remember. When I, one thing I do remember was that the show was like simultaneous with us. Yes. Like I yeah. think you went on the air a, maybe a, it was the same fall that we went on tour for our right. first album. Like, yes. So we, I think we left in August of 93 or something and you went on tour in September of 90 yeah. or like the, the show went on that year. Yeah. I remember yeah. that and knowing about it. Uh, so maybe I did, which is, that would be the reason I would know that. Well, I mostly remember meeting uh, Danielle and, and uh, Ryder though, a, yeah. a few years later. Um, 
Yeah, I don't, you know, there's a weird thing back then that people don't take into account that uh, before all the streaming and things being out on DVDs, uh, touring and primetime did not mix. You yeah. know, like shows that were on TV, uh, you just ne- like, I mean, for, for all the talk about friends in our band, uh, right. I had never seen the show because I had been on tour the whole time the show was on the air. Right. Right. Um, and when would you have been able to watch primetime TV? You know, you're like yeah. on stage at the same time that shows are airing. Exactly. So like the, the whole television from that period, like I had never seen Seinfeld until way later. <laughs> wow. I think it was around the same time as yeah. well, because uh, I, I didn't see Seinfeld until it was. Uh, like I had a DVD box set years later because I missed the entirety of the run on television. Wow. Well, we, the three of us talk a lot about the experience of auditioning for a part on a show. And then a month later, you're on primetime TV for an audience of 17 million people. And while researching your career, it's amazing. You had a pretty similar situation. You had been in a few bands and then you formed Counting Crows and pretty quickly you were in like a bidding war between labels and Mr. Jones being one of the first songs you recorded. How did you then deal with that change in your life? Uh, Freaked out. Yeah. Mostly. Mostly I just, uh, (laughs) I mean, I was uh, a very shy person. I, you know, I was dealing with a lot of mental illness too before then that I, you know, wasn't, uh, talking about publicly and you know i i had dissociative disorder which you know c- keeps you at a sort of distance from the world so i was very uh hesitant around people you know yeah. and then i was suddenly all the people in the world you know are looking at you I-, I found that to be uh very strange and uncomfortable but you know a lot when the other side of it is that when you're in a band a lot of your life is spent in this bubble on the road right. where you are with people you do know um Early on, we were mostly an opening band, um, but I had a good introduction to like all the new people at first as an opener for Suede mm-hmm. and the Cranberries and uh, and then Cracker for a long time, you know, as they were all having success and we were the opening band. So I would, you know, I got a chance to kind of work my way into it slowly because it was about, I don't know, five or six seven months until it really blew up. Yeah. Well, you've been very vocal about the dissociative disorder. And I, I didn't realize that you were dealing with that before you had success as well, because the, for our listeners who may not know what it is, um, but it's where you feel very distanced. Your mind is very distanced from the reality that you are experiencing. And it, it causes a lot of memory loss, right? Like you don't have a lot of strong memories from certain times of your life. Well, it can do that. It just kind of, you, you just kind of live at a distance from things at times and, you know, it can blur out parts of your life a bit. Uh, but, you know, I, I didn't talk about it back then because while it was a real problem for me, I didn't want to like, you know, I didn't want to be a public circus, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, uh, but also it's, you know, it wasn't the entirety of my life. It was just part of what was going on. You know, I was enjoying getting to be a rock star i mean it was yeah. it was pretty cool honestly <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> i mean especially because you know you, you dream about this your whole life you're in your bedroom by yourself i mean you guys all know this because you want to be an actor but it seems like how is anyone even going to know who i am you know like right. you're in your bedroom in my case in berkeley or san francisco and you're writing songs but it's not like 
how's the world supposed to hear that? And then they do, you know, and that's, it's really cool. You know, it, it is, it's, and you know, it's, that's 30 years ago. Now the first album, it was 30 years this year. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I've spent more of my life in this life than not, you know, which is, I mean, it's really cool. It is everything I ever wanted. You've also, you've explored this a lot on a conscious level in the songs themselves. You know I mean? There's the irony of like the lyrics to Mr. Jones, um, yeah. but then also just throughout your career, you know, you, the Mrs. Potter's lullaby and more like when I dream of Michelangelo, you always, you, you talk about this tension between the artist and the audience's identification with, with, with the artist. And, um, you know, for us, it's, it's kind of simple. We can be like, we're not our characters, right? <laughs> like that's a different person. Yeah. And while there's a lot of crossover, you know, we, we look the same, we sound the same, but it's, it's, but for you, you're actually, you know, you are creating characters and narratives within your stories, but for the most part, it's, it's a confessional point of view. It's, it's, you're writing about yourself. So, I mean, yeah. when people confuse <laughs> you with your character, does that feel, I mean, what is that like? Well, I mean, I am my characters. There's no confusion. I, I mean, these <laughs> songs are all about me. Uh, every one of them is about me, you know, and, uh, and also, you know, and I think you, you, you build a career on something like that and people identify with it. You know, they, they, because, you know, you're talking about things you feel and things you go through in your life. And sure, some of the things are, you know, not everybody gets to be a rock star or something, but a lot of it is just human Stuff. expression and feelings and what, human beings deal with when they try to like relate to each other. And I think that's what most of my songs are really about. And you know, the, the, the confusing part of it, I think for people is that I totally understand why people relate to all the things in the songs. Um, which is not the same thing as knowing me, you know, cause you're getting, uh, a very specific amount of information that I'm willing to share with you. Right. Uh, and and uh, it's not the same thing as knowing a person, but I get why everybody wants to be pals because yeah. I'm the same way. You know, I, I want to be friends with all my idols too. But uh, yeah, no, it's a it's a weird thing. You, the the and I I mean I explore it from both sides because certainly you know when you arrive in Hollywood and you discover that uh, that TV and those movie screens are more windows than walls. You know that you can actually go through them and meet those people and date them or whatever when you discover that you know it brings up a whole bunch of confusing things for you as well for myself because i you know i realized that i was meeting all these you know girls i dreamt about or or imagined meeting uh but your your picture of them is a character on a screen you know not right. a person and you know so like mrs potter's especially is about you know what are you doing uh fantasizing about fictional characters who look like the real people that portray them, but aren't the real people that portray them, you know? And, uh, right. it's a, I found that to be kind of a fascinating subject. I mean, just cause I realized I'm getting sucked into this con I'm like self-consciously doing this thing that I know is crazy. Um, right. and <laughs> it can't like, happen. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, you know, <laughs> Pretty people, yeah, yeah. pretty people, you know, what, what are you going to do? You know, I've been a geek, you know, I, I was a, a geeky kid, you know, I like Star Wars and me too. You know, I, yeah. <laughs> and now there's all these girls and it's, uh, it was very confusing to me and fun and, yeah. uh, you know, 
somewhat disappointing but <laughs> will will literally went through the exact same thing will has tried to convince us i think he he has at this point that he was a nerdy dorky kid that girls did not like and then he moved out to la and started boy meets world and all of a sudden he was able to date famous actresses and how did it's that? Weird. Yeah, it's, just, it's really bizarre when you go from you know painting miniature figures and reading your <laughs> fantasy novels <laughs> to people in magazines wanting to date you. It's just it's and so the your the natural thing you do is you question if it's real because it's like why how can how can this suddenly be happening on a Tuesday when last Tuesday. I was was specifically told not to show up at the party because nobody wanted me there. So, I mean, did you feel that same thing where you're you you love it's this weird balance of loving what you're doing, but also questioning it every step of the way? Well, I mean, fame is a hell of a glow up, you know, I mean, it really really does just make us all look a lot better. Uh, But I think part of it is that it's also like this affidavit you come with, you know, because you walk up to someone that you don't know at a party when you're younger and it's like they have a whole world of skepticism justifiably so you know and when you're famous suddenly it comes with like well okay i i might want to meet him too right but then you still have to they have to like you yeah over time nobody's sticking around for well i mean i guess some people do but mostly it what i thought at what i saw it as at the end is, is that mostly it's it's an opportunity to meet people yeah. You still have to be yourself. And it is it is real. Uh, it's just, you know, it's not real right at first. But that's just, you know, the chance. Nothing's real at first when you meet people. You're always putting on your best self. Yeah. In any dating situation, we spend the beginning of our relationship being absolutely the best version of ourselves. And then, yeah. you know, then you are who you are. You know, I have friends who do this, unfortunately, in marriage where they're like the best husband ever, like, ever possible for a while and then it's like then they become themselves and they're still a good person but it's inevitably a disappointment after the servant they were for a while you know what i mean (laughs) it leads to some really really relationship problems you know yeah my husband just started very mediocre so that i am never disappointed he just was like listen it's not getting it's not getting any better than this and and now i'm just not disappointed because i know start at a five you're good genius that's absolutely genius it's the same reason why if when i get older i am not going to tell anybody i'm younger i'm going to say i'm five or ten years older than i really am so it'll be like you look great yeah i'm like i'm 62 i'm 62 i'm definitely not going to go down well it is really interesting because entertainment is the only field where whether you're an actor or a musician suddenly your dating life and your personal life it becomes a major focal point like i don't know who my dentist dates or who my accountant dates and yet you know so much of your folklore adam was around your dating relationship and yet you were releasing absolutely classic albums did it ever bother you that's that there was that major distraction from the music you were creating. Well, yeah, because I also felt like, well, a lot of it was fictional. I, I have dated people I've never met in my life. Wow. Hordes of women that I've never met, still <laughs> never met in my life are, are part of these like Google alerts that pop up on my phone about past dating histories. You know, and I felt like at the time also, you know, inevitably after a successful first record, there's always some kind of backlash. It's just, there's no way around it. You, you know, because radio is going to play you as much as they can because yep. that's their, that's how they make their money. And, you know, at, at some point you're just going to annoy the shit out of everybody. 
Yep. You know, you get sick of that song. And I felt like after the first album, we spent about three albums where I, I do feel like they were kind of disregarded and there were the the touring reviews and the album reviews had more to do with my dating life or my imagined dating life right. than they did with the records themselves. You know, I, it, it's it's one of the real disappointments in my career that recovering the satellites and this desert life and hard candy uh, got kind of disregarded those three records in a mm. lot of ways. Um, uh, you know, and, and they're some of my favorite of our work. You know, I really thought we got better and better right then, but it yeah. really wasn't until Saturday nights and Sunday mornings that the press came back around, mm-hmm. you know? Um, well, I think part of that is because August was such a huge hit. <laughs> I mean, you yeah. guys were out of the gate, like, you know, right. next level kind of success. Um, and I also remember that there was this thing, um, you know, in the nineties, which is thankfully not a thing anymore, but this whole notion of selling out, you know, right. like, and that was, it was so, it was so negative to, to be a sellout. Um, do you remember feeling like worrying about that or how you wrestled with that in the nineties? Yeah, only worrying about like the perception of it. Cause the idea of it seems so stupid, right? Like it's in every other aspect of life, fame, entertainment, everything else, people are just supposed to do the best they can. We love to watch celebrities and sports heroes uh, and hip hop heroes on uh Super Bowl commercials and everything else. Right. It's just now selling out is like, great. <laughs> e- even then for those people, but just for rock and roll, we were supposed to be, I don't know what. Everybody else in their careers is just trying to do the best they can. You're trying to make the money. That's right. what everyone else in the world's career is about. Right. You know, and and meanwhile, we're supposed to uh, not do any of that. I always felt it was so silly. Like, it's so hard to succeed in a band, the business is so bad. The ability to support yourself and to have success for more than a couple years is so nearly impossible. Yeah. But to deny yourself like uh, one part of the possible earnings seems so silly to me. It, like nobody else has thought of that way. I remember at one point, you know, we got to radio had gotten so genre specific in the early 2000s that it was very, there wasn't really any genre that was right for us. We were just like a bunch of different stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Our music didn't fit any particular groove. And, you know, it was getting very hard for us to get played on the radio. And we were getting ready to release Hard Candy. And and Coke came along, or Diet Coke, I can't remember which one it was. And and said, uh, hey, we really like that song, American Girls. We want to put it on a, on a commercial. And we're going to... Pl- put that commercial on TV all summer long. Wow. And the record comes out, I think in the end of the summer or the fall. And so like your single will be out there on TV the entire right. summer. Great. It'll be great for you. And I thought, Oh, we've never done that, but that, you know, Makes seems sense. like a really good idea. You know, yeah. like we should, and we did, but there was a lot of like backlash about selling out about it. God, fuck. I, I right. like diet Coke. I drink it all. I used to drink it all the time, <laughs> you know? Uh, so it isn't really selling out. It's just, it's something I actually used, but it kind of got slammed at that moment. And I remember thinking, wow, that was, 
what is the point of that? Like, what do you all expect us to do? We're just, everyone's trying to earn a living. And, You're right and that suddenly it's, it we're was the specific, only ones who can't. It's specific. It was specific to the era. I mean, I think it's gone now, hopefully, but it was also like, you're right that it's very specific to rock and roll, right? Yeah. Like, and, but, yeah. but there's something about that early nineties vibe too, like the grunge era and like, yeah. you know, all of those, all of, all of you guys were sort of grouped together as this like anti-establishment. Yeah. Uh, in some ways it was a retro vibe, you know, which is so funny now to think about like, like when, when August and everything after came out, I remember like a lot of the reviews were like, oh, this is a throwback to the seventies or, you know, this is like a, and yet now, of course, the music is so, so associated with the nineties, you know, the same way that like our careers are so associated with the nineties. How do you feel about the nineties now? Like as an era? I mean, I lived through it. Yeah. Uh, I never really think about eras myself. Like it always seems like this sort of false value bucket we throw things into for grouping of time, you know, like, and we make judgments about it. You know, like when I was growing up, the sixties were cool. The seventies were bull. Right. You know, it's not the seventies were kind of great. I don't know. I, they were weird. And it more, more of the vibe of the sixties took place in the seventies and took place in the sixties, Totally. you know, and then, you know, I remember, you know, being a little older and the 70s were cool and now the 80s were and right. so shallow. <laughs> but I look back on it and the 80s is the birth of college radio and the birth of like indie rock and roll. And uh, it always seems like just this kind of uh, that seems like a way of selling things. We get a we take a, a group, a, a block of time and we lump it together and we say all these people were this way. Right. All these people were this way. It's like there's a real fascination now with a. Uh, every age group having its own gen or some people are baby boomers. Some people are zoomers. Some right. people are, are like millennials. And it's like, a, I realize my generation kind of doesn't really have that. We're, I mean, you could call us baby boomers, but baby boomers has to do with like people who were born after world war two, you know, like right. I'm born in the sixties. It's clearly not you call it whatever you want. It just didn't seem like that, that, that stuff existed. I never even thought of it until, uh, What's name's book? Uh, uh, Gen X came out. Right. Uh, right. Generation. What's that book called? I can't remember who. Douglas Copeland Doug wrote Copeland, that book. Yeah. Gen yeah. X. Yeah. Um, it all seems kind of. I don't know. That stuff seems never silly to me. It's just like I, I have great memories of the '90s and the time I spent, but only in the fact that they're years. I have to think about which records came out when. Okay. <laughs> right. Well. Desert Life came out in 99. So that's the last record from the 90s. Then we have the 2000s, which I remember having a lot of fun on the millennium. Uh, I think we threw a big party. Um, yeah. But, I, you know, I, I don't, it, I never really thought much about it, except at the time I got to be a rock star. Right. You know, and there was a lot of other cool bands playing great music. I loved touring during that period. It just seemed like everywhere I went, there were other friends in town from wherever. It was just like a really magical period. I, I moved to Hollywood you know, in the middle of that period and uh, really loved that for a long time too, you know? I yeah. Mean, I mean, your August and Everything After was released on a label called DGC through Geffen Records. And it was, you were alongside like Nirvana, Teenage Fan Club, Sonic Youth, which like, I don't mean to sound like a get off my lawn, but like it, you would be hard pressed to find a more influential time in rock music. What what yeah. are, What are some of your favorite memories of being around those guys and 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 just being mixed with that, those other artists. Well, you know, we went to Geffen or DGC. There were several labels at Geffen. David Geffen Company was DGC. Mm -hmm. um, 
and it was kind of the indie arm of the company at the time. Um, and it was it was kind of a boutique label, and I think we went there in the end because we felt like they were really patient. They they didn't they didn't really care about whether we had a hit right away. I mean, I don't think anybody at the record company thought this album was going to be. They loved the record, but they didn't necessarily think it was going to be a huge success. We were hoping for a couple hundred thousand records at best. That would be great. Wow. Um, but I, I thought it was going to be kind of like a campfire where we all got to hang out with each other, and that was actually the case. <laughs> like we did. I, I I met all those bands back then at barbecues over our A&R guy's house. Uh, I, the first record I actually ended up being on was Maria McKee's record. She was on the label too. Yeah. And I got to go sing on her record at the time. Uh, and the Jayhawks were in her band. So I got to know those guys too. And they ended up, they and Maria do all the background vocals that I don't do on August on the first record. Either the background vocals are me or they're Maria McKee or the Jayhawks. Uh, and you know, we all, you know, I, I knew Kurt and the guys in Nirvana and Sonic Youth and, you know, they were all really nice to me. We were all very different musically, but, yeah. uh, that didn't seem to matter. We were all like, and that tends to not matter among musicians. They don't really tend to be about, I'm about this kind of music. I, people right. tend to be about, yes. I'm about this kind of music, but musicians just tend to like music. Right. And that was my experience then too, is that it was just a lot of great indie rock musicians who we got to hang out with. And it was really cool. I know these are kind of the basic questions you probably get in a lot of interviews, but they're the ones that I love. And it's stuff like, what, who were your influences growing up? Like, what were the bands that you listened to when you were a kid? Well, it was a bunch of different kinds of stuff. You know, I, I grew up in, uh, in Oakland. You know, and Oakland was really a big funk and soul town. So early on, uh, there was a lot of like Earth, Wind & Fire, the Commodores, P-Funk. Um, but at the same time, uh, the radio station I listened to at the time growing up, KSAN, played everything. You know, they were really freeform radio. So you could hear, uh, you know, uh, the Earth, Wind & Fire followed by George Jones country music maybe a little bit of miles davis and then sex pistols right you know it, it would they would play anything so i kind of grew up listening to everything so at the same time as i was really into earth wind and fire i was really into elvis costello and uh, joe jackson and you know all the kind of like new wave and early punk stuff uh it, it was kind of like a real melting pot for me listening musically uh you know i, I certainly loved a lot of uh bands like well the band yeah. Um, I don't know that Dylan was the thing early on, but I got really into going through like the Rolling Stone record guide and looking for five star records and then buying them to teach myself about music. You know, mm. I remember when I first bought it, the pictures in there were all five star records. So uh, I remember getting Al Green's Let's Stay Together because it was a picture in there and, and being floored by that and this Lightning Hopkins record. Uh, you know, and I, I was just really into like, trying to educate myself at one point i went one by one and bought all the rolling stones records like at the used shop in berkeley and listened to them from the beginning you know england's newest hit makers all the way up through i guess tattoo U came up came out my senior year in high school um you know i just kind of was really obsessed with music and uh obsessed with like learning all i could about it i loved ella fitzgerald did you have a particular moment? I mean, was it with Conan Crows or was it 
does it predate that where you where you feel like you found your voice as a, as a musician as a songwriter well it started when i wrote songs because before that you know i like to sing and i really love music i was pretty obsessed with it but i don't know where to go with that i mean i guess you could go be in musicals but that wasn't really the center of our culture anymore right. it didn't seem like and I, and I didn't really like uh you know i acted when i was younger i, I was a young conservatory at act in san francisco but I, I didn't really love it. I, I liked performing, but it just wasn't me. Yeah. And when I was a freshman in college, I wrote my first song, and that sort of changed everything. Hmm. You know, I, I, it was like a bell or like a light switch going off in my head. You know, like, oh, I'm a songwriter. And that was like, I mean, the hardest thing about shifting from childhood to adulthood is uh, how you identify yourself. Right. You know, we're kids. We do things that we're told to do, and then we go around. But as far as accomplishing anything, it's mostly stuff that people tell us to do. You know, uh, you guys worked really young, so it's different for you. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you got your homework and you'd like to meet girls. And those are kind of the two things of life. Uh, and, you, and you start to get into college and into being an adult. And you're like, well, what's going to happen with the rest of my life when it's choices that I get to make for, my, for yeah. myself? And that's a pretty confusing moment. And I remember like, being in, a, I think, a chemistry class and, you know, my sister was still at home. My mother was off in medical school. So my sister was home alone with my dad. She was 16 or 15. And it's a, that's a pretty, you know, difficult time in a girl's life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Things are changing. And, you know, she was struggling with me being gone and my mom being gone. And uh, I wrote this song. I started humming to myself in class and I hummed this melody and I, wrote these lyrics to it the songs called good morning little sister hmm. and i got out of class and i had this thing written and i was like well i went back to my dorm and there was a like a lounge across the hall from my room my freshman dorm and there was a piano in there and i went in there i locked the door and i sat down at the piano and i i can't really play piano but i know how to make a major on a minor chord so i like hummed the song to myself and i poked at the piano until i'd find a note that i was singing and then i would try and figure out a chord that goes with that it took me the whole rest of the day, like three or four hours. The song would take 15 minutes now. It's right. fairly simple. But at the end of it, I'd written a song, you know, and, and it was literally like a light bulb going off in my head. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'm a songwriter. And I knew <laughs> what I was before any of my friends did. Right. Like, I mean, I fell behind again when we all got out of there and started getting jobs because it was <laughs> very hard to get a job as a songwriter. But, you know, uh, it changed everything in my life that day. Like that moment was the biggest defining moment of my life because wow. before that I was a kid and then I was a songwriter and I knew that I knew what I was, what I was going to do with my life. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I, I, I like, I knew who I was and what I was. And it, it was a very weird feeling, especially as it became clear how hard that was going to be yeah i was going to say because you know? i mean take writing is one thing sharing it with the world yeah. and getting it out there is such a struggle too i mean yeah it's getting anyone to hear it you know right. like i mean i was i started school at uc davis and uh i was there for my first couple years and then i i transferred down to berkeley because all i was doing was writing songs and i realized uh if i really want to do this i have to be back in the bay area mm -hmm. i had a lot of years after that of trying to figure out how to get anyone to hear my music, but the start was moving back to the Bay area. Um, but I spent, you know, 
almost 10 years in the clubs, you know, before anything happened, really. I was, I was 18 when I wrote my first song. I was 27 the first time anyone from any record company came to see a band I was in. Um, 28 when we got signed, uh, I was 29 when the first record came out. So, you know, I got, it wasn't like, I mean, I had put in years in bands in the clubs in the barrier, you know, which is maybe great because I feel like I'm a eight and oh or whatever. <laughs> I <know>. Like <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't have anything I regret that I put out in our career. Whereas like, you know, maybe I wouldn't feel the same if I had been releasing stuff earlier, you know, when I wasn't as ready, I guess. This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Listen, Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and so do their tushies. Especially when they start really moving. With Huggies Little Movers, you get their best-fitting diaper with its curved and stretchy fit. That's right. So no matter what kind of mover you've got, they'll feel protected and comfy while their little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Huggies Little Movers has curves designed to fit all baby curves and helps provide up to 12-hour protection against leaks. So make the switch to Huggies Little Movers today. We got you, baby. When it comes to Podmeets World, we're synonymous with two things. Watching our younger selves on a TV show from 30 years ago and loving Hyundai. If we could, we would take Hyundai to prom. Technically, Hyundai is more visible on this show than Topanga. The first ever fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. With up to a 303-mile range, available two-way charging, and other category-defining features, the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5 is one of the most teched-out electric vehicles ever. Say teched out again. Nope, that was a one-time show. Snooze, you lose. Well, either way, the Hyundai Ioniq 5 is a tech Ford electric SUV. The standard ultra-fast charging capability gives you an 80% charge in just 18 minutes when using a 250-plus kilowatt DC fast charger. So that means your car won't die out like the Matthews family vehicle on New Year's Eve, forcing you to miss out on kissing supermodel Rebecca Alexa in front of all of Philadelphia. And with available two-way charging, you can charge larger electronic equipment inside and outside the car. Backyard or side yard. Hyundai, it's your journey. Learn more at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 2024 Ionic 5 rear-wheel drive has an EPA-estimated driving range of up to 303 miles. Actual range will vary with options, driving conditions and habits, vehicle and batteries condition, and other factors. Available in limited quantities and select states only. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, Jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Or sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by the experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. 
Uh, so I have a question for you because I was obsessed with television the way it sounds like you were obsessed with music. So I found a lot of my music through what I'd watch on TV. And I remember I'd heard of you from Ryder, obviously, but the first time I really saw you was your appearance on Saturday Night Live. Oh, I'm so glad you're going to talk about that. I remember <laughs> that so well. I do too. And you guys just killed it. And I remember right then watching that going, oh, I have to, I have to get this album. Like I have to find this band. Did you notice a shift in either was it record sales, popularity, whatever, due to that appearance on SNL? Oh, yeah. It made our career. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, we, and I have to give them props for this too, because they booked us to play that show before we were anything. Our record was, as I remember it, 213 on the charts the night we played Saturday Night Live. We weren't even in the top 200. Uh, Marcy Klein saw us open for Cracker at Irving Plaza. And Cracker, we had a great show, and Cracker also we'd have no career without them pushed us back on stage for an encore. Wow. You know, as an opening band, you know, which doesn't happen. And, and she booked us right after that, or like started talking to us about, uh, booking us. Cause there were two shows Letterman also was offering us slots at the time. Uh, and so was Saturday night live. And we went through a bunch of negotiation on what we would play and who's going to play with us. And it took a while and ended up Saturday night live kind of gave us what we wanted first. Um, but when we played that show, we weren't even in the top 200 and it it literally, and I no joke about this, the record jumped 40 spots a week for five or six weeks until we landed at number two. Um, and we were at two for the next couple of years, never went to number one, but, uh, yeah, it was entirely due to Saturday night live. And then, uh, a few months later, that was like the first week of January of 94 when we played it, uh, Mr. Jones was released on MTV the week between Christmas and New Year's that year, uh, which you don't release things during that period. Nobody does because there's no charts. Yeah. Uh, and so people avoid it. Uh, and we thought, well, what if we put the single out then instead, like with nothing else going to MTV that week, except our song, maybe they'll play it a bunch. You know, they did. it was on mostly on 120 minutes the first time it played. But, you know, so my point is like, it's not like Mr. Jones was a big hit or something. Right. We we played Saturday Night Live and we played Round Here first, and yeah. that kind of made our career. You know that literally it was like two thirteen, one seventy, one thirty something, ninety something, fifty something, two. sixteen, thirteen, <laughs> six, two, wow, and then geez. we spent a couple years at number two after that. Um, that is but, just insane. Yeah, we didn't even notice it though. I mean, because it was just record sales; it wasn't doing anything for us. We played our first headline shows in clubs in the Northeast the weeks after Saturday Night Live. Then we went back to opening for Cracker. And then we were getting ready to go play a European tour. And we played Letterman right before we left. Uh, And while we were playing Letterman, uh, Rolling Stone had called that day, I think. Unless I'm pushing all these things together. It's been a long time. My memory is that my managers came to me at Letterman show and said... uh, Rolling Stone wants to put you on the cover. You're going to Europe next week. They're going to send uh, David Wilde to write the piece on you and Mark Seliger to take the pictures, and they're going to meet you in Paris. Um, you know, and then we went to Europe. Um, <laughs> All those years of buying Rolling Stone and and yeah. studying it and researching it, so and now cool. they're asking you to be on the cover, and they're going to write an article about you. 
And my first response was, because he asked me about it, and I said, okay, can I think about it? And uh, <laughs> he looked at me, and I'm like, okay, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, of course, uh, of course yeah, it's fine. Yes. Um, but, like, but legitimately, I was scared about it. I mean, I had two minds of it. As a rock musician, of course. Or as anyone, really, yeah. at that, by that time, because it wasn't really a music magazine anymore by then. Right, right. You, you have to say yes to being on the cover of Rolling Stone because there's no point to your career otherwise. It's going to make you huge, you know. Yeah. Uh, but all I could think of was, you know, it's it's hard to portray it nowadays because we don't really have newsstands anymore. But they used to be on every corner in every major city, and there'd be these racks, and Rolling Stone would be like, you know, there'd be twenty of them up there, and you could see, and whoever's on the cover, you, know, it's like your your face is on every street corner in America. And I was thinking about what that would be like, and it seemed scary to me. It seemed like everyone will be looking at me how this is different from just like playing a club. You know, I was nervous about that. You know, I was also right about that. It was going to be very strange, and it was strange for me. But you can't say no to that. It'd be stupid. You know, otherwise, why try to have a career that lasts, you know? So the time that you were on uh, Saturday Night Live, the cast was Chris Farley, Norm MacDonald, Adam Sandler, David Spade, just Jeez. some of the most yeah. incredible comedians yeah. of all time. What what do you remember most about that night? Uh, it's a mixed bag. I mean, <laughs> the cast was great. They're just really nice people, all of them. I really enjoyed Sarah Silverman and Janine Garoppolo were on it too right then, but they were struggling a lot. They were really weren't very good to women back then. Mm. And like, I remember hanging out at the Paramount later that night. And the two of them were just really bummed out about like, it's hard to get their stuff on the show. Yeah. You know, you could make dick jokes, but you couldn't make Sarah Silverman jokes. Right. You know what I mean? Like she was much right. more uh, risque and they really struggled with getting stuff on it. But the, that's not the cast fault. That's the... Right. You know. And we struggled a lot that week. We had made a lot of agreements with Saturday Night Live about what we were going to play, about playing the entire songs. And they kind of went back on everything right when we got there and changed mm. everything we'd agreed on. Ugh. And uh, we fought about it all week. We eventually, in the end, had to threaten to leave that afternoon. Um yeah, I and remember the, hearing about this. It was because that you they didn't want you to play round here. Was that what the they didn't want us to play it first, even right. though that was the agreement. And I was very set on that being the first song that the world heard from us. You know, mm-hmm. I thought it was the most important song. Um, and they, they wanted us to edit the songs down, mm-hmm. which we had agreed <sighs> not to do because I didn't like editing songs. Uh, and I mean, in the end, actually, having allowed us to play round here and as well as it went. They came back later on and asked me, can you please cut down Mr. Jones right before we were going to go play it? And so I did. I think Mm. I think I cut the last first, the last double chorus in half. I don't remember exactly, but I think I did think it was only fair to do that. Um, But it was a rough week because they kept threatening. us. You know, they're a big TV company. NBC is big and that's the biggest show for bands. And, you know, I. They don't really have much of a hesitation about bullying you. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you're just lucky to be here, kid, kind of thing. Basically, and we were, but I can be very stubborn and we had a deal and uh, we didn't. I mean, <laughs> they've never had us back. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, but the show made our career. It, yeah. Without a doubt, it absolutely made our career. You know, like I think it 
I, I just remember very clearly the influence it had on record sales in the month and a half after that. You know, we went to play Letterman right before we played Saturday Night Live and we played around here again. And that to me is probably still our best ever television performance, that Letterman performance. But we were great on Saturday Night Live. We crushed it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I couldn't be more thankful to them about the effect they had on our career while my memories of it are pretty because mm-hmm. I would have loved to enjoy Saturday Night Live too, but it was it's a rough week. You know, it was, I'm just this like young nobody, you know, and I, I don't know how to deal with a, a network. Yeah. And like Lauren Michaels and the, 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 and I'm very scared. I'm ruining our career, but I was also very determined to get our career off to the right start. Well, I think um, a big part of the, your staying power um, has been, has been obviously the live shows and and your approach to live shows in particular. I mean, I talked about it when we talked about mentioning Counting Crows on on Boy Meets World. I talked about like how my fandom, you know, it was like I, I liked the first album, whatever. But once I started seeing you guys live, what it was for me was, oh, every night's different. You know, like that 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 you allow improvisation or you you seek improvisation every night, and then you have this intertextuality with other songs riffing on, you know used to be sorted humor now it's springsteen you know but you were always you know where did that come from i i think the people i saw growing up were that way you know i feel like you know rem would play obscure velvet underground songs well obscure then because no right. one, velvet underground had kind of disappeared now they're uh, you know uh, icons but in at that point they were in the 80s they were kind of a forgotten band you know and I got introduced to all this music by them, by like uh, the big star songs they played. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I saw, I had a lot of, you know, I saw Van Morrison a few times when I was a kid. He clearly improvised a lot on stage. Mm -hmm. Uh, I saw Miles Davis. He did the same thing. You know, it was a lot of music that I really liked that did that. But, you know, it's also part of what in our minds, for a lot of years, we associated seeing the bands we loved with music being different from the records, because that's what live music was. Right. It wasn't until I think really MTV came along that we associated seeing the people perform and hearing the record. You know, <laughs> right, like, right. I mean, you had Elvis movies before that, kind of, yeah. and you know, Beatles movies, but uh you didn't really think of it that way. Like when you thought about going to a concert, it was going to be different and you look forward to that, you know, but the MTV kind of trained us in a lot of ways to think we could watch the band and it would be exactly the same (laughs) as we were listening. And and that that's nothing wrong with that. There are people who do it really well. Right. Um, And I guess there was TV too. Now that I think about it, Ed Sullivan and those people, you, you were, you were lip syncing. So it did yeah. exist before MTV, right. but that was on TV. You know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe my theory doesn't really work. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I like it. It's an interesting and one. It, yeah. Damn it. Uh, the mistake <laughs> I made right now was calling myself on that. Yeah, you should have just let it go. <laughs> no, we yeah. were going to argue. The last person who should point out you're wrong is <laughs> yourself. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I grew up thinking that's what music was, you know, and right. I really liked that. And so when I started to play music, it, it wasn't that I... It actually wasn't right when I started to play music. We, the very first gig of uh, our first tour, we drove up the tour. We were going to be opening for Suede, 
And the middle band was the Cranberries. They ended up blowing up midway through that tour, but Suede was the headliner and we were the third band. And the first gig we played was at the Town Pump in Vancouver. And I think it was just Cranberries that night. And we drove all the way up from Berkeley, a 24 hour drive up from Berkeley. And that afternoon before the show, we did sound check. And then we went, a few of us like went over to the Lake Victoria and we were sort of looking at the shores of the lake. It was pretty. And we were just trying to figure out what to do before the show. And I, I turned to like the guys who were there in the band. I think it was Charlie and I don't remember who else was there. Dan, maybe. I'm like, hey, when we get done with the solo, the guitar solo and Mr. Jones, I'm going to go like this. And everybody come down. And they said, why? I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to do something. What are you going to do? I don't know. Just follow me. It's going to be cool. You know, I'll try. You know, and, yeah. and it was just like, they all looked at me like, okay, well, all right, let's try it. And then we did it that night and it was great. And like, you know, we're the opening of three bands and we start playing these shows where we're like taking the songs apart in the middle. Yeah. And you know, you only have a half hour set, so you can only play a few songs, but we start doing these 10 minute versions of like ranking in a 30 minute set or around here later. I don't remember how soon we started doing around here. Cause I know it started with ranking. Um, you know, and, and people sat up and took notice, you know, and people got, oh, this is really cool, you know, because especially the people that are seeing you at that point either have sought you out because they have the record and they're really mm -hmm. interested or they're just like indie music fans because they're there to see Suede, you know, or, and they're in a club, you know, I don't, I, nobody's complained about it until the next summer when we were huge and the fans that came in were like, play Mr. Jones. Yeah, that's right. all we're here for yeah. and make it sound exactly the same make it like it sounds yeah. it does right. in the album yeah. no tricks right right exactly. i mean i still think we get a lot of complaints still yeah. i mean not not a lot but like you know i'll be looking through the the mentions and the stuff on instagram after shows and uh, there'll, there'll be someone every once in a while who's like uh they just ruined song after song tonight uh, how are we supposed to sing along if he doesn't oh even know how God. the song goes right and my first thought is don't worry about singing along i can do it better than you right why are you <laughs> trying to sing <laughs> but you know i understand enjoying singing along at, at shows you know when i go when i go to see dashboard confessional my friend chris's band the entire audience sings along the whole time and it's awesome yeah but I, I, my songs aren't as, they're not like, I don't know why they're, they're just different in that. Well, maybe it's just that I'm screwing them up. It could be that too. <laughs> well, you have your ground. I mean, I, I think that, you know, that, that live quality, that sort of like, oh, every night is going to be a little different or we don't know. You're, you're having an experience. You're discovering the song live. That, I mean, that was what always attracted me to you guys, you know? And I think that, yeah, you're going to lose some people, but I think, you know, I, it's, it's worked out, you know, you guys are still here. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> you're, you're right, because it. like something is working because it's 30 years on and yeah. plenty of people came to shows this summer. You know, right. we played 60 shows this summer and it Jeez. there was a lot of people there. Uh, we were it, in the same place as you once. Yeah, we were yes. in Raleigh. We were, we were in Raleigh, North Carolina, the same night you guys were in Raleigh. And we found out you were doing a show walking distance from where we were. And we tried to get in at the last second and not a ticket to be found. No, couldn't, couldn't get in. Couldn't get in. Oh, you were at the convention? Yeah. 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 Oh, I remember that day because Chris went over to the convention because he's seriously geeky too. Yes. And, and Caraba went over to the convention to sort of geek out with people, uh, you know, 
Star Wars, Star Trek. He's yeah. really he's really into that. Like last was it last year? Uh, my, I think it was last year. Chris called me and he said, I, "I'm I'm coming up to New York for a weekend. I'm doing this thing. Uh, I don't know if you want to go with us." And I'm like, "What is it?" He goes, "Well, it's a little embarrassing, but you know, you know me." And I'm like. <laughs> yeah, what is it? He goes, well, we're going to a podcast. We're going to a Star Trek podcast. Yes. Go, really? All right, I'll come with you. It's him and his brother. And we all went. It was this podcast called The the Greatest Generation. And they go, every podcast they go through a different episode starting. I don't think they did the original Star Trek. I think they started with Next Generation. And they're going to theoretically going through all the shows. But they have these live ones where they just do the movies. Mm. Oh, okay. So we went to one of the live ones at the Bell. Uh, what's that place in in uh, the Bell House in Brooklyn? Uh, and we saw we went to hang out with these. We went and talked to the guys and hung out with them and had a few beers. And then they did their podcast on Star Trek Four, which was my oh. favorite of the old Star Trek movies. Yeah, you know, great movie. Wow. With the whales and and yep. uh, 20th Century San Francisco. Yep. Uh, oh, so yeah, that's on you. One. Yeah, it was dumbass on you. Yeah, great. Oh it's, like, it's a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> so they did this hysterical podcast on it. Me and Chris uh, went to it with his brother, and uh, it was awesome. And I, you know, so yeah, I, I I remember that day because Chris, there was like a tunnel that connected actually yeah. Yeah. through the basement to the convention to our gig, and they went to it. <laughs> if we had I wish known, I'd we known. would have tried to. We, we could have just snuck in. We just crashed it. We would have crashed it if we could. We Come tried. On. We walked by. We stood outside for a little bit, listened to a little bit of the music, and left. We tried to get in, but we uh, just couldn't. We don't have each other's numbers anymore. I know. I, we'll, I, know we'll, I, I texted. I texted Emmy because I'm still in touch with Emmy. So I texted him, and he was like, "Let me try. Let me try." But then it was like five minutes before the show. He was like, yeah, "Emmy didn't come to." Oh, I wish I'd yeah. known. I would have absolutely worked it out to get you guys in. Sweet. Uh, that's a shame. I have another industry question for you. The biggest story this month has been the surprising resurgence of Creed from the Texas Rangers championing them through the World Series. And now they've reunited for a tour. And it seems like they have like the perfect amount of camp and nostalgia going into the next year. So my question for you is, did Creed get a bad rap? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, there's no such thing as anything but that. Look, I mean, we're just, it doesn't matter whether you're a big Creed fan or not. Somebody is. Yeah. And they enjoy <laughs> the music, you know, like it, it, they enjoy the music and people like music because they like music, you know, and they should be able to enjoy that music. It, it's really dumb to me, this thing we do where our, you know, we, music's different from other art forms that we literally wear it on our chest. Right. Yeah. You know, although this is a fresh pinch shirt, so maybe it's actually <laughs> maybe it's actually a TV show shirt. You correct yourself way too much, Adam. Yeah. Just go with it. I mean, I, I feel like we define ourselves by the music we like in mm -hmm. ways we don't with other art forms. Mm -hmm. And and uh and then we put down other people for the music they like. And it just seems so silly to me. It's just whether their music is great or not, whether the band is like however we have to stratify who's the best there's still some guy who was sitting at home in this bedroom writing these songs that meant something to him. Right. And he chose to express himself in that way. And so he did. And the way the media like lynch mobs certain mm -hmm. bands and then everybody else jumps on it too. I watched this documentary a little while ago about the Bee Gees, you know, and it's oh, a wasn't really it good so documentary. Great? Oh, it's so, so good. good. And, you know, 
they they were such a huge influential band meshing different kinds of music and making this incredible like music out of it the disco music was so good and and then that became this thing that divided people and and you realize like they one of the great things in that movie was they did an interview with one of the ushers at Comiskey Park where they had the burn the disco record celebration yep. and the people are bringing in records that he's like this isn't a disco record this is a soul it's like Stevie Wonder you know it's uh, and he realized that, oh well, it's not really just about disco it's about black music and gay music and everything right. that was sort of like not cool for white guys in middle of, I don't know what totally but the Bee Gees, meanwhile, are off on the biggest tour in the world. They get home and they realize no one wants to ever hear anything from you again. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're, you've gone from being the biggest band, bar none in the world, to anathema. Like no one even wants to like admit to liking you ever again. And that's kind of the end of their career, which sucks. I mean, that's yeah. so stupid. And it's just be, it has to do a lot with what radio does, which is play it until you're sick of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's part of what happens. You know, radio plays until you are sick of it and you have no control over that. The best possible situation is that they play you and the worst possible situation is they play you too much. And then, you know, but I was sort of, I'd forgotten about all that when it happened. And it was appalling to watch it again and and see what a lynch mob it was. Yeah. You know, and uh, how disappointing that, that is. This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Listen, Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and so do their tushies. Especially when they start really moving. With Huggies Little Movers, you get their best-fitting diaper with its curved and stretchy fit. That's right. So no matter what kind of mover you've got, they'll feel protected and comfy while their little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Huggies Little Movers has curves designed to fit all baby curves, and helps provide up to 12-hour protection against leaks. So, make the switch to Huggies Little Movers today. We got you, baby. When it comes to Pod Meets World, we're synonymous with two things. Watching our younger selves on a TV show from 30 years ago, and loving Hyundai. If we could, we would take Hyundai to prom. Technically, Hyundai is more visible on this show than Topanga. The first ever fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. With up to a 303-mile range, available two-way charging, and other category-defining features, the fully electric Hyundai Ioniq 5 is one of the most teched-out electric vehicles ever. Say teched-out again. Nope, that was a one-time show. Snooze, you lose. Well, either way, the Hyundai Ioniq 5 is a tech-forward electric SUV. The standard ultra-fast charging capability gives you an 80% charge in just 18 minutes when using a 250-plus kilowatt DC fast charger. So that means your car won't die out like the Matthews family vehicle on New Year's Eve, forcing you to miss out on kissing supermodel Rebecca Alexa in front of all of Philadelphia. And with available two-way charging, you can charge larger electronic equipment inside and outside the car, backyard or side yard. Hyundai, it's your journey. Learn more at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 2024 Ionic 5 rear-wheel drive has an EPA-estimated driving range of up to 303 miles. Actual range will vary with options, driving conditions and habits, vehicle and batteries condition, and other factors. Available in limited quantities and select states only. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all. Jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Or sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. 
When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by the experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Because we were a television show, we hear from our fans all the time. We grew up with you. It's super important to us, and it meant something in our childhood. So very briefly, bringing it to television, did you have a Boy Meets World in your life? Was there a show you grew up watching that was really important to you? Um, yeah, I mean, there were a lot. I mean, the ones that stick out the most in my mind were, like, All in the Family mm-hmm. when I was a kid. It was Rachel. really and – and the Jeffersons. They were yeah. really, like – uh, you know, good time. Those those sitcoms, the Norman Lear ones, Mary Tyler Moore show, you know, those were so brilliant and so like culture changing to me at the time. Uh, and then soon after that, I got really obsessed with uh, Hill Street Blues, you know, oh, and, and the beginning of his shows, which are so many good shows that Stephen Bochco made and, yep. and such a huge influence on everything after that too. You know, like television changes massively because of uh, of those shows and specifically Hill Street Blues, you know. Um, and then, but the other thing that really hit me after that was Ken Burns, mm. who I still think in a lot of ways is my favorite m- filmmaker, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that he made, I guess they're movies, but they were all made for TV, you know. The Statue of Liberty one that features Carolyn Forche, who was the poet I was reading when I wrote my first song and a huge influence. You know, that Civil War documentary, Ugh. later on the jazz and the baseball ones, which were so uh, powerful to me, you know, uh, and, and he just continued making them for years and years still to this day. They're brilliant work. The Vietnam one is incredible. Um, Prohibition one is great, too. Yeah, yeah, the Prohibition one's really good. It's a little briefer, but it's really good. Jack Johnson one had a big effect on me because it becomes part of the beginning of Palisades Park, which is mm. about Jack Johnson's fight with Jim Jeffries in uh in Reno in whatever that was, 1900 or 1910, you know, like that's the beginning of Palisades Park. Um, yeah, those shows were really, really big to me. Um, you know, it, cha- it, it changes weirdly when we go on tour because then I just, for a few years, it's almost impossible to see anything. Yeah. Until I made friends who gave me, uh, like Nev Campbell, I told her I, I really wanted to see Party of Five because I hadn't seen it and I heard it was really great. And she got me the... She had the studio print all of them up on uh, VHS tapes and gave me like three boxes of <laughs> Party of Five. And, and they did the same thing for me for the X-Files. And we, we watched them in the back of the bus on tour, you know. That's amazing. That's cool. I wonder if she had to pay like $500 to get <laughs> like we, did. we had to pay at the end of the season, Adam, believe it or not, we would work on the show all season. And then at the end of the season, they would say for the low, low price of like $380, you, you can have, have a copy of each episode you did on these VHS tapes and we would pay the money and we'd get them on VHS. 
That's not. They they really get you coming and going. I mean, right? That's how they get you. That's how they get you. Disney. Yeah, man. It's like those studios. It's like there's so much. You realize that too when you're in a band. Once you start working with a movie or a TV show, there's just so much more money involved, and therefore so many more executives, and therefore mm-hmm. it costs them less to just sick a lawyer at you for something. It just yeah. like, it ends up always being. I love having my music in movies and on TV, but it's always a bit of a chore and a headache because you got to yep. defend yourself the whole way through it. Yep, it's exactly right. Yeah. My last question for you: You guys have been on the road nonstop lately. What can fans expect from Counting Crows in the future? And do you, you know, need anybody to jump on stage with you like I did thirty years ago and, and just, you know, dance on stage? <laughs> We always need that. We haven't done it much in a while, just with the other bands. But yeah, we used to, we used to do that with, with uh, hanging around with everybody yeah, up right. there. We all jumped up. The- <laughs> we all jumped up there. Um, you know, that's kind of based on the fact that we had all our friends in the studio clapping on that song originally. It was everybody at, our, at the house recording on it. I mean, clapping when we did the song. Uh, I mean, I'm writing a few songs I was just working last night uh, to get the second half of the suite. Um, done uh, I, I think hopefully we'll get recording later this year and then uh we were just talking the last couple of days about going out uh this coming summer and whether to do it or not and how to do it um and uh i mean we'll just keep doing what we're doing i guess yeah. it seems to be working and i don't really have any other employment uh <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, be surprised how little there is out there for <laughs> aging rock and rollers you know <laughs> Well, we would love to make it out to a show and, and yeah. we'll invite Will along this time. We'll, uh, yeah, I'd like to come. I, again, Ryder, Ryder uh, especially uh, brought your band into my life. I tried to reciprocate with my, my growing up band, which is Husker Du. I've tried over and over. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm trying to get bo- more Bob Mould into their lives as much That's as I can. Stuff. I like it's Bob amazing. Mould, yeah. It's amazing. So, uh, but they, then uh, Ryder introduced me to Counting Crows and it's been, uh, it was a great, great addition to my, my musical career. So I loved it. <laughs> one more, one more very, 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 very brief thing. Ryder used to tell me back in the day, you made a hell of a set of ribs using, was it oh. Dr. Pepper? Dr. Pepper ribs. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to need that recipe at some point. <laughs> I, I don't, I haven't done the Dr. Pepper part of the recipe in a long time. It's really good, though, because the, the idea was that since you don't have a smoker, you boil it a bit before you do the the grill. Okay. But I have been working on my ribs over the years, it, try, coming up with an oven version. And I've been, I have not re-included the Dr. Pepper part yet. I've just been slow <laughs> cooking it in the oven. But I will say I got that recipe from Gibby Haynes of the Butthole Surfers. We used to have uh, barbecues on sunset on Sundays in front of the Viper Room when I was wow. bartending there. And uh, so Gibby taught me to make the Dr. Pepper ribs. Uh, okay. We did it on Sunset Boulevard in front of the Viper Room. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. And, uh, the only time I've and, ever had crawfish was at your place. You had a crawfish boil once. And I remember yeah, that like, I have done more recently. Cracking the heads open. Oh, yeah. I tried it. <laughs> so I did good. it once. And I'll never do it again. <laughs> I want the ribs. I want the rib recipe. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Adam. <laughs> I'll figure out how to do it. <laughs> thank you so much for Thanks, taking time out of your day and joining us and you know it goes without saying how important you were in writer's life throughout the 90s but also yeah. just to all of us and it's uh it's an honor to have gone through the 90s right alongside you we all celebrated our 30th anniversary this year you with august and everything after and us with boy meets world and um it's really nice that we're both still here and <laughs> able to talk about the the impact that we had on people and still doing what we love to do. So thank you for being here with us. It's so nice to see you guys again. I have to say, it's really great to see all of you. 
Thank you. It was really Thank nice you. seeing you. Thank you so Hopefully much for we'll being see here. you soon. Yeah. Thanks, you guys. Yeah. Thanks, Have Adam. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Listen, Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and so do their tushies. Especially when they start really moving. With Huggies Little Movers, you get their best-fitting diaper with its curved and stretchy fit. That's right. So no matter what kind of mover you've got, they'll feel protected and comfy while their little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Huggies Little Movers has curves designed to fit all baby curves and helps provide up to 12-hour protection against leaks. So make the switch to Huggies Little Movers today. We got you, baby. When it comes to Podmeets World, we're synonymous with two things. Watching our younger selves on a TV show from 30 years ago and loving Hyundai. If we could, we would take Hyundai to prom. Technically, Hyundai is more visible on this show than Topanga. The first ever fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. With up to a 303-mile range, available two-way charging, and other category-defining features, the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5 is one of the most teched-out electric vehicles ever. Say teched-out again. Nope, that was a one-time show. Snooze, you lose. Well, either way, the Hyundai Ionic 5 is a tech Ford electric SUV. The standard ultra-fast charging capability gives you an 80% charge in just 18 minutes when using a 250-plus kilowatt DC fast charger. So that means your car won't die out like the Matthews family vehicle on New Year's Eve, forcing you to miss out on kissing supermodel Rebecca Alexa in front of all of Philadelphia. And with available two-way charging, you can charge larger electronic equipment inside and outside the car. Backyard or side yard? Hyundai. It's your journey. Learn more at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 2024 Ionic 5 rear-wheel drive has an EPA-estimated driving range of up to 303 miles. Actual range will vary with options, driving conditions and habits, vehicle and batteries condition, and other factors. Available in limited quantities and select states only. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, Jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Or sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by the experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Wow. So cool. Such a nice guy. What a great dude. Yeah. Always has been. Always has been the nicest guy. You know, it's 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 so funny when somebody is like, you know, writing songs where they're tortured constantly. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. But then you actually talk to him. He's pretty happy. Pretty nice yeah. guy. Yeah. You know? I'm sure he yeah. has his down moments, but those are the moments that he writes his songs about. But, you know, for the most part, life is good. Yeah. Well, yeah. and he like he talked about, you know, he understands why people relate to it so much, mm-hmm. even though it seems like, 
you know, when you hear of somebody talking about, um, cause we talk about it in the movie industry all the time or the TV industry where it's like, let's do a, let's do a, a story about a, f- a famous person. You go, well, that's not relatable, but the actual struggle of, of fame and life changing, those things are actually super relatable. And so exactly like he said, where he wrote songs about a very specific sliver of his life that he was willing to let you in on. And it happened to be aspects of life that everyone can relate to. It's just, it's really interesting. Yeah. I also just love hearing, you know, it's like for, you know, doing music for 10 years before you have that moment. But of course, as far as the world is concerned, you're an overnight success. It happened immediately. No, that's never the case. Whenever you hear about an overnight success, there is probably 10 years of struggle. Now, when you're talking about child actors, I was going to say, it's a little different. You can't can't just be sitting on a porch somewhere and somebody finds you, but that doesn't happen musically. No, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in any other capacity. Like it's really specifically to kid actors. But yeah, I've always thought about that. Like, you know, how much, and also just like, it's so interesting to hear about, there's so, especially with rock and roll or music in general, there's so much glamour and excitement. And, but the reality is like the day-to-day life of being mm-hmm. a musician is so much work. Like touring. Oh, no. I mean, we're oh, touring right now. And with we're the exhausted. little tour we're doing. Can you imagine being no. on tour for nine months no. a year? That'd no. be insane. No. no. And if you're like the lead singer or the lead musician, you're doing every, I mean, every night. It just takes so much energy. And yeah. I couldn't imagine. But him just going and not even really knowing how to play the piano, but going and like picking out the notes and then going, oh, I'm a songwriter. I mean, that's amazing to me yeah it's cool. incredible oh, i never heard it. that story that's really cool i love it very cool well thank you all for joining us for this episode of pod meets world as always you can follow us on instagram pod meets world show you can send us your emails pod meets world show at gmail.com and we have merch mr merch and me pod meets world show.com thank you all for joining us writer send us out we love you all pod dismissed Pod Meets World is an iHeart podcast produced and hosted by Danielle Fischel, Wilfred L., and Ryder Straw. Executive producers Jensen Karp and Amy Sugarman. Executive in charge of production Danielle Romo. Producer and editor Tara Sudbach. Producer Maddie Moore. Engineer and Boy Meets World super band Easton Allen. Our theme song is by Kyle Morton of Typhoon. Follow us on Instagram at Pod Meets World Show or email us at podmeetsworldshow at gmail.com. When I'm on my way to drop off the kids at school and I'm on about five hours of sleep and I haven't had my coffee yet, I'm truly one of a kind. Yeah, this sounds like the beginning of a horror movie. It is. But there is one thing I can do immediately to bring some comfort and calm to the situation and keep me moving forward. Eat Keebler Sandies. I like to think that if the good-looking guy was still around, sitting on the couch, comforting himself about not getting into college, he'd ditch the Cocoa Puffs and down some Keebler Sandies instead. Mixed with chocolate syrup? Ooh, why not? When you need a comforting moment for yourself, Keebler Sandies is the perfect treat to keep you going. Each Keebler Sandies shortbread cookie is baked to perfection by the Keebler Elves for a light sweetness and a texture that melts in your mouth. The next time you feel like you're juggling it all, reach for Keebler Sandies shortbread cookies to enjoy a simple moment of comfort. This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Listen, Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and so do their tushies. Especially when they start really moving. With Huggies Little Movers, you get their best-fitting diaper with its curved and stretchy fit. That's right. So no matter what kind of mover you've got, they'll feel protected and comfy while their little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Huggies Little Movers has curves designed to fit all baby curves and helps provide up to 12-hour protection against leaks. So make the switch to Huggies Little Movers today.
We got you, baby. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.